As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You know, I asked him, do you ever feel out of place in Jamaat Kana? Like, do you feel like you're ever unwelcome? And he took a second and he was thinking about it. And he's like, no, not really. And, you know, that's so beautiful. This is Podvocative. Hello and welcome to episode 11, also part three of our Interfaith series and the last real episode for season one before we wrap up. We're so excited that you're here and excited to have another episode. Yeah, thank you guys for tuning in this season. Um, this is our last episode with real content. Our next episode will be sort of a season finale of sorts that we hope you tune into. But so excited for you to hear this story today. And yeah, really thankful that you guys have tuned in this season. Before we dive in, those of you who are familiar with Podvocative know Sheetal and I will typically ask our guests an interesting or a funny question for them to answer in their introduction. So today you'll hear us ask what Noreen's favorite breakfast food is. So I wanted to pose the question to Sheetal first, like we always do. So I actually really, really love breakfast as a meal in general. So this is a hard question, but I might say like a classic egg sandwich with like avocados and tomatoes, or if I'm feeling fancy, then a bagel with schmear. Well, I typically like sweet things in the morning. So I love French toast and I love waffles. Yeah, you and your sweet in the morning really stresses <laughs> and confuses me because I need the savory. I like the sweet afterwards or on the side, but yeah. Yeah. I'm the exact opposite. I want to have sweet first and then I want to follow up like immediately with savory. That's why I can't do brunch because I really like breakfast as its own food and then I want to have lunch. <laughs> I want two meals. <laughs> Well, we hope you guys love today's episode. I hope you take something out of it. We are really excited to bring part three of this series to you, conversations around interfaith, interracial marriages, relationships, families, um, and Noreen brings another great perspective. So without further ado, we can go ahead and dive in. 
Thank you so much again for being here. Thanks so much for having me, you guys. If you just want to start out by telling us who you are, what you do, and then your favorite breakfast food. Ooh, all right. I'm Noreen Golomly. I currently work at Bloomberg. I oversee um, social media for financial products. I'm just really happy to be able to tell my story, my husband's story um, on this podcast. And let's see, favorite breakfast item is probably going to have to be chilaquiles. I think it is my Texan roots. I like love migas and chilaquiles and all the great Tex-Mex foods. (laughs) Awesome. So I guess to start us off, if you could tell us a little bit about why you're here. Yeah, absolutely. I'm married to a wonderful Black Trinidadian man. Uh, Akil and I met when we worked at the same startup. I joined a startup in 2015, and Akil was already a software engineer there. And I was in the marketing department, so we didn't really interact that much. To be honest, he actually said I was a blur at first. He was like, oh, yeah, you were just that new marketing girl. But we really hit it off at a company event that first week, and you know, we became good friends immediately. Every second that we spent together, he just made me laugh. And I guess I made him chuckle a little bit too because he stuck around. And, you know, just despite having such different upbringings, I think we both found that our outlooks on life and, you know, what we wanted for the future were the same, even though we came from such different worlds. We both understood where we were coming from. Really, you know, I got to marry my best friend, which was always a lifelong dream. You know, I I wanted someone who got my quirks and understood my personality. And not only did he accept my quirks, but I think he came back at it with the same quirks himself. You know, I would randomly meow across the room. And instead of staring at me like someone who forgot that, you know, I wasn't alone, he would meow back at me even louder. So I got both of the things that I've, you know, always wanted. I married my best friend and, you know, I got someone who's equally as weird as I am. That is so sweet. My heart is melting. That's so precious. So you said that you both were raised differently, but you both had um, similar visions for your future. Could you shed a little light on both of your backgrounds, your family and your upbringing prior to meeting? So Akil was born in Trinidad, uh, where some of his extended family still lives. Um, But he moved to Brooklyn when he was around two. And he's been in the New York City area ever since, um, which is definitely very different from the suburban suburban life that I grew up in. I would definitely say he's close to his family, but you know our families define closeness very differently. I think for my family, I often think we're close, you know, because we communicate all the time. You know, we, and his family is very very close as well, but it's so different from my family in that you know they're not always necessarily communicating all the time. But I think part of that is just you know we had different upbringings. He grew up with his mom and his dad wasn't ever a part of his life. So right off the bat, I think that left him with a really different but still wonderful upbringing. And I grew up in a home with two parents, one of whom was home when I got home from school, you know, with after school snacks, checking on my homework, asking me which friends I spent time with. And so both of us had these beautiful, loving, wonderful upbringings. For me, understanding how our circumstances were different has been a real challenge. Um, something that you know has taken me years to really understand how those differences allowed for us to have different perspectives and also opportunities that were available to us. And they just were beyond our control. From a religious background standpoint, Akil was never very religious, but his grandfather is Muslim and his grandmother and mom are both Christian. So his mom was really great in making sure that both he and his brother had both a Bible and a Quran growing up. They were left to really decide for themselves which one they chose, if any, very different from, you know, 
growing up in an Ismaili community where you're doing so many different activities and you're constantly involved in some way, shape or another. You know, you and Akil were obviously great friends um, before you started dating. But, you know, jumping from friendship to dating, knowing these different backgrounds, knowing how much you knew about each other, was there ever any hesitation from either of you to kind of take it to that step, um, given that you came from different places? Did you ever think this would remain a friendship and nothing more? I can honestly say that he didn't think twice. (laughs) You know, I think part of it is that he didn't grow up in a particular religious community. But in general, he's never seen race or religion as something to look for or avoid in dating, which is really beautiful. I think that's really hard to do in today's day and age. But he's just so laid back. And I think his whole stance on the relationship was we're great friends. There's something here. I see no reason not to try. For me, it was obviously a little bit different, not from a cultural or a racial standpoint, but from a religious standpoint. I've always found myself picking and choosing practices that have resonated with me. But the thing that I always come back to is that my smiley community was the backbone. Um, the thing that I was raised with and the thing that I knew I always wanted to be a part of at least my life. But, you know, as I thought about my personal beliefs and my values, it seemed to differ from so many smileys that I met. And so I found myself feeling less and less likely that I would find a true partner that shared my personality traits and my beliefs and my willingness and desire to question things um, within our Ismaili community. I knew that I was limiting myself by saying I have to find an Ismaili partner. I need to have someone that, you know, relates to me. It's such an, being a part of the Ismaili community is such a unique culture of its own. You know, it's not an ethnic culture. It's not a, a racial background. It is part of a larger faith tradition of Islam, but it's so unique and specific. I, I felt like it would be really hard to relate to someone, um, you know, to say, oh, well, I'm going to Jamaatkana because it's Chandra. And, you know, oh, I'm fasting today because Chandra fell on a Friday. And so now I have it's Rosa, you know, like there are all these nuances that it's really hard for someone to understand if they're not coming from your world. And so while, yes, you know, having parents that, you know, raised us instilled with this power of belief that every tradition out there is beautiful and valid and that we have to live in harmony and having my own family members come from different faith traditions. It's still, you know, I still found myself looking within the really small pool of the Ismaili community. I will say that when I was surprised by Akil and, you know, he kind of snuck up on me and he jokes that I snuck up on him too, because he really wasn't expecting it either. I think by that point, It was a combination of, yes, I know that eventually everyone will accept and embrace this, combined with knowing that I wasn't necessarily going to find someone in my own pool. So, you know, kind of in that vein, did it take time for your families to get on board when you told them? And, you know, what were their reactions? Were they supportive? Our friends were incredibly supportive. So I'll start with that. Um, You know, I think just from the get-go, they could tell that we were at our happiest, at our healthiest, and we were just most ourselves. With our families, I think we faced very, very small roadblocks at the beginning. You know, his mom really wanted to make sure that he wasn't making any major changes just for me with the sacrifice of his own identity, which is incredibly valid and beautiful. And I think supportive for a parent to ensure, you know, you have a grown child that can think for themselves, but to make sure that they're not doing anything in the heat of the moment that's going to be at sacrifice of their identity, I think is really important for a parent. For me, you know, my parents never saw the difference in race or 
ethnicity as an issue. But I do think they felt a little bit wary about the difference in religious background, because they know that, you know, in raising children, if you're not aligned, then, you know, what does that mean for the child? Is there confusion? Do they, you know, no longer partake in any community because, you know, you're coming with two communities? And it was helpful that a, that Akil did not come from a particular religious community. I think that actually aided in making him feel like he was able to embrace the faith of Islam. And then, of course, you know, for my parents and, and I think for Akil's mom as well, um, for as they would for any son or any daughter, I think they all just wanted to make sure that we would be supportive partners to one another, that we would have what we needed to stand on our own two feet. But ultimately, you know, both families were really wonderful in the end and very supportive and happy for us. And I think, you know, for me, I kept our relationship a secret from my family for the very beginning for a short period of time because I was so nervous about how they would receive the information, you know, even though they had never given me any reason to doubt how they would react. I almost felt like I had to protect Akil. Um, and I wanted to strengthen our relationship to the point where, okay, now like, let's tell them we're ready. We're not gonna, we can survive anything. And, you know, we were both pleasantly surprised that they were really accepting. Of course, you know, they wanted to make sure, have you thought through everything? Have you thought about what this will mean? And, you know, they really treat Akil like a son and, and his mom really treats me like a daughter. So it's, it's really nice to see. How long into the relationship did you start having these conversations with just you and Akil about in our future, what fates are we going to practice? Yeah, um, I think my answer might be a, a, a little bit of a weird and surprising one. And I think, again, this goes back to the fact that Akil and I are serial monogamists and never really did the, the casual dating thing. We were friends, you know, for many months before we started dating. And the interesting thing is that even before we went on our first date, we had the conversation of, okay, so what will like the future children be? And like, you know, we knew that if we enter into this, we are entering in with the expectation that this is it for the long haul. And, you know, Akil said when we went on our first date, this is the last first date that I ever want to have. So just like letting you know, because we knew what a big deal this was. It was something that we talked about beforehand, because I think neither of us really wanted to fall for someone that later on we would have to walk away from because we didn't want the same things in the future. So we actually had the conversations really early on and I didn't even really have to ask that, you know, will future kids be a smiley? I think he just knew that it was such a big part of my life. And he immediately was like, yeah, I mean, I would want to raise our kids in a community and I don't have one. So the kids will be a smiley. And so it was really beautiful. So, you know, obviously talking about how you're going to raise your kids is one thing. How did the topic of Akil eventually converting to a smileyism come up? At what point did that come up? And what did that really look like when it was something that was starting to be discussed? It probably came as Akil learned more about the Ismaili community. So, you know, when he met my parents and my brother and my sister-in-law, um, we all went to see Rays of Light in Atlanta. And I think, you know, he was able to see the sense of philanthropy and the sense of, you know, helping communities through levels of impoverishment. It, re it really resonated with him. So I think that was part of it. I think the other part is just knowing that it was such a big part of my life growing up. And as he learned more about the Ismaili community, one of the aspects that he learned was that he can't come into Jamaat Kana, right? Unless he's an Ismaili. And that is a really, really hard thing to accept. 
we're lucky in that Manhattan Jamatkana is so open. It's just such a loving community. And when it comes to Kushali, there's always a point where interfaith and interfaith partners and family members can come, you know, to join for dinner and join for Ross. There's the picnics, there's, you know, social events. And so, you know, I was lucky that I was able to bring him to so many things. He came to Thanksgiving potlucks before we were even engaged. You know, that's huge. But that's not something that every, you know, a smiley center really makes available to interfaith and intrafaith partners and, and family members. And so I think he saw that also and said, what does that mean? You know, am I going to be able to take the kids to REC? When you go for Lail Tukadar and you're staying all night, where am I? And I think we both kind of realized that, you know, maybe me more than him, because I realized that that was a gap. And while it certainly wasn't a requirement, I think it, it was clear that it was a strong desire on both our ends. So I think at first, you know, it wasn't a conversation necessarily between the two of us about would he convert? Would he join the faith? But then as time went on, and he realized about, you know, how much of it was a part of my life growing up, I think he knew that with those ebbs and flows, it probably would become a really big part of my life again. And especially with kids coming into the picture, you know, I would want that to be something that he's a part of. Besides being able to be a part of the community and being bringing that to his family, how did he feel about the actual practices and the, the religious rituals? How did you present that to him? And how was he um, exposed and included in that aspect besides just the social? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, he really wasn't exposed to that. The rites and rituals until he had already taken his baya. Um, I explained as much as I could ahead of time. But once he was in Jamath, can I think part of that confusion comes from the language barrier? It's tough because I think the elderly in the Jamath are not necessarily as proficient in English. Um, and you want to make sure that they're included. It's, it's crucial that they're included. Um, and so much of our faith is grounded in this legacy of language as well. You know, it's, it's very similar to Catholicism being grounded in Latin, right? Um, the Arabic tongue of the prophet, peace be upon him and his family, was carried down in the form of the Quran and now in the form of our dua. And so there's that that you don't want to lose within the, the faith tradition. But then I hear the Kachi and the Gujarati and the Urdu, and I don't think that he's the only one that feels this pain of, of language barrier. You know, the other issue with the rites and rituals is that I'm not a teacher, right? Like I'm, I didn't go to IIS, like I don't, I'm not someone who is an expert by any means. And I think, you know, one of the, the flaws in the process of deciding to join the community is that there isn't as much education. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. On the rituals itself, that really is kind of expected to come from the partner. Um, and I think that's a heavy burden for both individuals where it leaves, you know, it, it, I think it has left a keel with a lot of questions in Jamatkana and I don't always know the answer to them. Being the primary example, obviously he got to see your parents and your friends um, and your community, but you being that primary example and representative of this faith for him while he was converting, was that a lot of pressure for you? Um, was that ever really stressful for you at any points? And how are you feeling through it? I mean, yeah, it, it's tough because, you know, I'm not like the ideal smiley, right? He looks to me as kind of that you're my primary example, but then he's hearing, you know, maybe different things from our teacher or in the curriculum or even from my family. And I think it's hard for him to know like what is part of the Ismaili Tarika versus like what is it that you believe. And so I think it was hard for both of us, you know, for him to try and separate the two and for me to not impose my own beliefs upon him because as he's going through this process and he's going through his own faith journey, I want him to make up his own mind, right? And I I want him to decide what he can buy into and what he just, you know, is it's not for him. Um, so I think that was a, a really heavy burden beyond just the the idea that I had to teach him certain things. I really felt like I had to be the Ismaili ambassador to him. You know, I everything that I did or didn't do, I think I had to like explain if it came from our practices and this is what I abstain from or this is what I do and this is why. Um, and that's a, a heavy burden um, to to really meet. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think I, from what I've heard, it's kind of like, I guess, like becoming a U.S. citizen. Like, I feel like people who had to go through that and take that test know more than I do, um, having grown up here. Did you ever feel sort of the same way? Like the research and the learning that Akil was doing to become an Ismaili, did you also kind of like secondhand learn a lot through that? You know, what did that look like for your relationship? What did his research look like or his education throughout it? A lot of the foundation of the education process is Islam in general, right? Before we even really delve into the Ismaili history, there's the Islamic history, there's, you know, the pillars and the foundation and the morals and the values. And so I didn't learn too much new there, but I will say, I think it gave us both a little bit of a jaded perspective because you know, I think we all know you can be born into this faith and it's really easy. You're part of the community. Bam, you got your baya. And he really had to learn a lot more than I would say the average Ismaili knows. There was stuff in the education process, which I appreciated because I think it's important to know what you're walking into and to 
to understand a lot of that before you make the decision. It's beautiful. But I think it made us both feel a little bit bitter that he had to do all of that at the same time. Um, when, you know, many of us don't necessarily know as much information as he knows now. So that kind of brings me to, you know, what the process looks like in general. And I'll try to be as candid as possible. It took us about a year and a half. And I'll be honest, it really wasn't easy. Without the support of our family and our friends, I think we probably would have exited the process, you know, midway. And I get, you know, that that there is this desire to ensure that we really don't accept anyone that's going to walk away two months after their baya. I get that it's important to, to know the values going into it. So I think that that's all really very valid. But I think we we both felt very put off by how many rule changes there were, the lack of communication. And it's really, really a hard process. It involves a written application. You have to have references to be able to join. You then go through several phone interviews and then and tack on the official education process on top of that, learning the entire dua. And depending on what region you're in, your experience could look very, very different. Something like this should be, I think, very consistent. It shouldn't be based on what region you're coming in from. And I, I think for us, it felt very unwelcoming because the question was, why is there this barrier? Why are you trying to prevent us from being able to move forward? And that is no knock on our teacher. Our teacher, who's a personal friend of ours, was incredible. I mean, I think he was our advocate the whole way through. He taught what was part of the curriculum. He answered our questions very candidly. But there's a lot that's not part of the official curriculum that they say, well, once they're a smiley, it will be part of their learning process by just being with you. And again, like that's really not the best answer because should he be learning about you know what does chanta mean and like what it, what do the words mean and like what is it supposed to symbolize like i don't have a phd in this and i don't think that i should be the one teaching him these things overall you know the process is really intimidating my family even our teacher expressed disappointment with the process with leadership there were times where we would reach out to leadership we would reach out to ithrab and our communication would go ignored for months on end and when we finally had communication it was often very hostile and it was with a tone of a very aggressive and patriarchal that i think we sh we shouldn't and we don't expect from our leaders you know we talk about you know did you feel the burden of being like the ambassador i mean talk about having to feel like you need to do damage control right like i had to explain every way every step of the way to akil this is not what the community is like like we are very open we are very welcoming which we all know is not always the case but here's this person that is making this huge change in their life has gone through a year and a half of education process you know this is the reaction that they're getting i felt like i had to constantly play PR manager, which is really tough. I'm incredibly grateful as is Akil of all of the voluntary hours that go into this, we have to acknowledge that work needs to be done. And that goes from the structure, the curriculum, the, the meetings, anything, anything around this, you know, the tone, the barrier to entry, it needs to be adjusted. Despite the shortcomings, the frustrations, the emotions that, you know, really came out in the entire process, I think for us, Akil's patience and his perseverance really was the thing that carried us through. So, I mean, it's, it's over now. Um, it was a frustrating process, but I think there was definitely a silver lining. I think it strengthened his dedication and commitment in having to overcome that.
Yeah, thank you for sharing all that. And I'm sorry that, you know, that was your experience. Can you shed light just so I can understand further? Like, was the process laid out for you in the beginning? And then at some points they were like, okay, well, you need to do an additional interview or like what things were being changed on you and how, like, how were you adapting to that? And also having both of you having full-time jobs and, you know, being so busy, how were you incorporating this time-wise in your life? There, there's only so much that I think we would all feel comfortable being candid about, but I will say, yeah, I mean, there was a certain amount of information that was provided at the beginning. It really wasn't a lot, you know, for something that's going to be this long a process, you would expect there to be at least like four or five pages worth of like a pamphlet, right? We got an email with one paragraph after like having gone through the whole application process, had several references, fill out reference application forms for him, all of that, several phone calls when he finally was accepted into the process, we got an email with one paragraph. And that was all of the instruction that we were given. And we were told, now you can refer to your teacher. And we were really lucky that our teacher, again, was a close personal friend, was someone who was very candid and transparent with us. But, you know, it's our only gives the teacher so much information as well. And at the end of the day, the teacher is meant to check the box of like, this is what they've done. And where we really saw the the rule shift were, you know, as we started to move through the process, I would say on track, and they felt hesitant. And Ithra would be like, Oh, you need to do this too. And we were like, we were never told that our teacher was like, we were never told that that's never a part of the process. And I honestly felt like they just were not ready to feel comfortable accepting him. And I don't know, you know, for whatever reason, whatever the rationale was, we felt like there were constant rule shifts. And when we would ask questions about the rule shifts or say like, hey, this wasn't provided to us beforehand. Can you give us more information? It would go radio silent for months. And then we would get an angry response saying like, well, why haven't you done this yet? And we're like, we never got a response. We sent you four emails trying to understand better. And we never got a response. And now you're upset that this didn't happen. And then in terms of incorporating it into our lives, yeah, it was was tough. I mean, there's reading that has to be done, several chapters of reading that has to be done between each one-on-one meeting. And usually, you know, the way that we would do it is we would each on our own read the chapters. Um, I went to every meeting with him. I've been told that's not always the case. You know, partners decide on their own how they want to be a part of the process. But, you know, we decided very early that I want to be there for every step of the way. So we would each do the reading on our own, then we would talk through each part together, any part that Akhil seemed like he didn't understand, or he didn't grasp, then he would have to reread. And at the same time, between each of these one on one meetings, I was having to teach him the dua as well. That was a lot. I think, you know, a lot of our evenings were spent doing this, you know, weekends, there were times where we were like, we have our meeting on Tuesday, like we need to make sure we do this. So I think, you know, it is a lot of time. I just, you know, sometimes wish we would have a shorter process that proves that a person's intent is there, they can join the faith. And then this is part of, you know, the the learning that goes alongside being a part of Jamatkana processes and seeing services. And it's hard to separate the two. So he's like learning all this information on the front end, really, really like trying to grasp it. And then he's thrown into Jamatkana. And like, you don't really see a lot of the information that he learned, but then he's missing the rituals education. So you know, a lot of time spent, I think maybe if it was broken up differently, would be helpful. But yeah, it was a lot, you know, going through it, or even when you started to talk about it and move forward, what was the reaction of Akil's family? Akil's family was really wonderful and accepting of it. 
but I think they really wanted to make sure that it was something that he was doing on his own. Um, and I think that that is so important that they did that. They, they wanted to make sure it wasn't, you know, some check the box requirement. You can only marry Noreen if you're a smiley, you know, that's, it would be the wrong reason to do it. I think we all agree with that. They just wanted to make sure that my family and, and I would still be accepting of him if he decided not to make that decision. So I, I really appreciated that. And I think once he clarified and he made sure that they understood that they were really accepting my family was really appreciative they also wanted to make sure it was something that he wanted to do for himself as well because I think they understood it's not just something that you do for the classes and like you checked the box and great you had your baya and now you're done right like we all understand that it is a lifelong commitment so all in all, both families were really great. Yeah, definitely so important to make sure. Is the process completed? Yeah. So he he is a smiley. He's been coming to Jamatkana. It was really nice to be able to say, you know, after work, it's not just me that's going to Jamatkana. You get to come with me. So, you know, you kind of touched on this just a little bit just now, but... What do your Jamatkana and religious practices look like today? You said you go together. Is, does he feel involved? Does he feel connected, welcomed? Again, like I think a huge, huge part of that goes towards the fact that we're in Manhattan. You know, I've gone to several Jamatkanas throughout my life as like our a regular Jamatkana, and I have never ever felt more at home in any Jamatkana that I have in Manhattan. And I felt like, you know what, I don't know that I want to raise my kids going to the Jamatkana that I went to in Atlanta. Like I didn't necessarily feel like I was at my best there. I don't know that I would want my kids to be raised in something like that. And so when I found Manhattan Jamatkana, I really felt like all of a sudden this was my community. And so very similarly, I think Akil, you know, we're both lucky to have that be his first foray into the Ismaili community. I think it's a really different experience depending on what Jamatkana you're a part of. So, you know, we've had the entire community be really accepting of him. You know, I asked him, do you ever feel out of place in Jamatkana? Like, is there anything that you like, do you feel like you're ever unwelcome? And he, he took a second and he was thinking about it and he's like, no, not really. And you know, that's so beautiful. I worry that when we get to Jamatkana at different times, because we're coming from different work locations, that a new volunteer at the door won't recognize him and that they won't let him in because he doesn't look like the normative archetype of an Ismaili. Yeah. Just to wrap up, this has been so informative. Thank you so much for sharing all that. But we just want to open the floor. If there was a question that we didn't ask you that we should have, or if there's even like advice to other people in a similar situation or anything like that. Yeah, I would definitely love to give a little bit of advice coming from someone who obviously is in not necessarily any position to give advice, but coming from the position of at least someone who's in a really, really happy, loving interracial marriage, I would say keep an open mind. You hesitate to think, you know, would my partner be accepted by my friends and family? I just say work on ensuring that the relationship is what you want first. No matter what relationship you're in, even if it's someone from the same race, ethnicity, religious community, you're always going to want to think through, do we want the same things? Is this something that long term is viable? But in the, in the case where there are differences and you worry that maybe those differences will not be accepted, work on really strengthening the relationship to the point where you're unbreakable. And I really think you'll be okay. Friends and families will always bring up concerns. They'll always question to make sure that you've thought through things. But I think it's okay that they question things. I think they want to make sure that you're going to be happy in the long term. And for those who have never considered it, you know, who, who aren't in a position right now where they're thinking through like, how do I get through this, but are simply just 
thinking, you know, well, I've never even thought about potentially winding up in a relationship that's an interfaith relationship or an interracial relationship. I just say keep an open mind. I never really considered it and it kind of just snuck up on me. And I cannot imagine my life without it. Our community is evolving so much every day. So finding a partner that you love, who accepts you for who you are, it's not easy. And so if you find that, hang on to it. I love that. That's such a heartwarming and sweet. (laughs) Um, That was really beautiful. So we just have um, one last piece. It's called rapid fire. And you'll have 90 seconds to answer 12 questions. What is your favorite form of potato? Tater tots. Favorite holiday? Nevros. What's something you should do, but you probably won't get around to? Read more books. What is your go-to order at your favorite restaurant? Pan-fried noodles from our favorite local Chinese restaurant. If you were an inanimate object, what would you be? Cell phone. Window or aisle? Windows. If you were famous, what would you be famous for? Acting. If you could raid one person's closet, whose would it be? No one's. I like my clothes. I like who, they're they're my clothes. (laughs) (laughs) At what age did you learn the most about yourself? Uh, Definitely 18, when I went off to college. What TV sitcom family would you be a member of? I can't remember the last name, but the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air family. What compliment do you like receiving the most? I love receiving that I'm compassionate. And the last book you read? so bad that I can't remember. Uh, Poisonwood Bible, which is my favorite. I just reread it so often. So I think that's probably it. Yay. You got all of them. (laughs) That wraps up our interview. And thank you so much for doing this. Um, I know Sheetal said this, but I definitely took a lot away from this, learned a lot. And I I look forward to seeing y'all around Manhattan kind of when it finally reopens. Likewise. Likewise. Thanks for taking the time was such a special and unique story and we're so thankful that Noreen was willing to share it with us and with that we wrap up our last real episode of season one we will still release an episode next week which will be a finale so stay tuned for that thank you all for your support this season we will catch you in season two As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.